0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information including service times and directions or to find out more about us you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Romans chapter 10. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hold your place there. And go over to 2 Peter chapter one. 2 Peter chapter one. We've been talking about honing our faith skills for the last days. Because in these last days, God has assignments for us. The Bible says the people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. Well, what generation will that apply to more than than the generation that is here when Jesus returns and catches away his church? It especially it applies to all of God's people all the time throughout the ages, but but I can't imagine it applying to anybody more emphatically than it does to us because we know God. We know we know. I'm telling you because of the truth that has been uh, brought forth in the last forty years or so concerning. Uh, the word of faith, the authority of the believer, our rights and privileges in Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus. I, I, I submit to you that we know God and, and the things of God better and at least know about God more than any other generation. Well, then it's imperative that we take that knowledge and act on it. Amen. In these last days and do his work. But it takes faith to do that. And so the message of faith has been introduced in the way that it has in, uh, in our generation for the purpose of getting us ready to do those exploits, to do great things for the Lord. And like I said this morning, when you think about great exploits, don't think about, you know, uh, running faster than a train, leaping off tall buildings. That's not necessarily what he's talking about. Great exploits, a great exploit would be anything the Spirit of God leads you to do and you do it and it bears fruit. That's a great exploit. And in heaven, as far as heaven is concerned, that they're all, anything that you do when you yield to the Spirit and obey the the direction of the Lord is a great, is a great exploit. That's the way heaven looks at it, amen. Well, we know that God uh, uh, doesn't send tests and trials. In fact, it it says, I think in in James that the Bible says, let not any man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God because God uh, cannot be tempted by evil, neither tempts he any man with evil. Well, a temptation to be sick is a temptation of evil. Amen. A temptation of lack is a temptation of evil and God's not in it. But on the other hand, if God did not allow us to be tempted, we couldn't be tempted. I mean, if he didn't permit it, it wouldn't happen. So we know God permits it. He doesn't send it, but he does allow it. He does to permit, he does permit it, but he does it for a reason so that we can use our faith again and again. The just, the righteous shall live by their faith. Now here in Second Peter, in uh did I say second Peter? Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh go to first Peter. No nope, no nope, no nope. excuse me I was in first peter that's why I couldn't find it go to second peter hallelujah let me find it I'll catch up with you verse uh, chapter 1 verse 2 grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power is given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and by virtue God has given us everything that pertains to life and knowledge. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. And he's done that through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of his word. That means that our faith is up to the task. I said our faith is up to the task to any challenge that ever comes up in life. The Bible says God will not allow it, it. Now we know that God does allow us to be tested and tried because if he didn't, it wouldn't happen. But there is, there is an exception to that. It says God will not allow us to be, to be tested above that which we're able to, to be victorious over. So he will limit us in that he'll not allow a test or a trial to come our way that we're not able to meet and to overcome. So when you're in the midst of a difficult test and trial, just remember that's God's stamp of approval on you. Amen, that you can do it. But there are reasons, like I said, for these things. Now go with me if you would over to Second uh, Peter. We're in Second Peter. I'm completely mixed up tonight, but that's all right. I know what's in my heart anyway. First Peter, go to First Peter. That's what threw me off. I was there first. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You know, when you're going through a, 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 a real difficult time, it just seems like time stops. You ever notice that? It just seems like I'll never crawl out of this hole. Amen. We were visiting this past week. Uh, I was, I was in, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, uh, this past week, Randy Greer had a, a meeting up there, and uh, and I, I usually go to that year, that meeting every year in, in August, and uh, I was just pleasantly surprised to find out that some old friends of mine uh, were coming to the meeting. These were people that uh, I've seen once or twice in, you know, 36, 38 years. Uh, one man and his wife, a pastor and his wife, were in the local church that I uh returned to, when I got back in fellowship with the Lord, I returned to the local church that I had been in uh, before when I was a young person. And uh, this couple was attending church at that time. They weren't attending before, but they started attending just before I returned to church. And, uh, and so he, he and his wife, we, you know, we were, we, all of those stories I tell about us as young people, young men, you know, hungry for God and just, uh, growing in the things of God and the times we spent together, he was right in the middle of that, you know? So it was just really good to, to find him there and his wife. And then there was another couple that we met when we left the church of God and went over to a word of faith church and, uh, and, and had good times with him back in the late seventies, you know, he was there at, at Randy Greer's meeting. And so we were having a wonderful time. But, uh, this man's wife that we'd met later, this man's wife was telling me that, uh, her daughter, uh, they, they just moved into a real small cabin, a cottage that her parents gave them. They've been missionaries for a number of years living overseas. And they've recently moved back to the United States in the last couple of years. And, uh, Her parents deeded over to them uh, a a nice little country cottage, you know, up in the mountains near Asheville. But it's only like 780 square feet. But it's just the two of them. Well, their daughter, grown daughter, uh, uh, came and moved that way. Well, she moved in with them. Well, then her fiance moved up there. And they're going to be married soon. And he was looking for a job and he hadn't, and he had had actually found a job and that's why he moved there, but he hadn't gotten set up yet. And so, uh, he needed a place to stay. And so, you know, they're real careful about that, you know, keeping, you know, monitoring that and chaperoning that and everything. They said, you know, our house is just crazy. There's four of us in this little house and it's, it's a one bedroom house. And said, you know, one person sleeping on the sofa in, in uh, the living room, one person sleeping in a hallway and, and, and we've got the, the, the one bedroom. And she said, I, it's just crazy. I, just, I said, well, uh, Brenda, one thing about it, you'll look back on this time in just, just a few short months, you'll look back on this time and it won't seem nearly as bad. She said, "I don't know about that. It's just hell right now." She said, <laughs> "She said it's just hell. It's just terrible." You know. I said, "It'll be better. Believe me, it'll get better." Well, when we go through tests and trials, it seems like it's like it's never going to end. It seems just like we're we're stuck in time. Well, during that time, uh, over in James, it says, "Count it all joy." Well, it's not necessarily joyful. The circumstances aren't joyful, but we can count it all joy. So that's what he's talking about here. In this you greatly rejoice, verse six, though now for a little while. Just remember it's a little while. Just remember it's a little while. It's a little while. It's a little while. If you use your faith. If you don't use your faith, it can last a lot longer. Amen. For a little while, if need be, you are you have been greed with various trials. That the genuineness... Of your faith. Now, I think the the other, the older King James says the trying of your faith is trial. It, the trial of your faith. The New King James says the genuineness of your faith. This is actually literally the same Greek word that's t- translated trying or testing over in James chapter one, where he said, "Count it all joy when you fall into various trials." This is actually the same word that the trial of your faith. Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What is it that's more precious than gold? What's more precious according to this verse? Huh? What's more precious than gold? Wrong. That's the way most people read it. It's not the trying of your faith that's precious, it's your faith. The trying of your faith it's your faith that's more precious than gold that perishes. Notice, though it be tested by fire. It's your faith that's tested by fire. The test isn't tested by fire. It's your faith that's tested by fire. Do you see that? That That the trial of your faith which faith is more precious than gold though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory. Now notice, when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible in the New Testament speaks of the, and there are several references that that use this terminology, when it speaks of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's talking about the return of the Lord. That's talking about the return of the Lord. So in the last days, The the tests and trials that come our way are to uh, try and uh, purify our faith, that the genuineness of your faith, which which faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his church, We're going to be shining examples of faith. I said the church is going to be shining examples. Historic examples. Uh, 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 Great examples of faith in God will be evident when Jesus returns. Amen. That's the way God plans it. He's planned it this way. And so every test and trial that comes into our life is a purifying of our faith, just like gold goes through a purifying process by fire. And what does that fire do? It causes the impurities to rise to the surface and they're skimmed away. Amen, well, that's what the trying of our faith does. There's a reason why God allows us to go through things. It's so that we can skim the impurities off And our gold be more and more, our faith be more and more pure like pure gold. When Jesus returns, ooh, glistening, brilliant, gold, pure gold faith. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I don't know, I thought that'd encourage you. It encourages me. Amen. Have we found Romans chapter 10? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let me see if I can find it. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 10. Let's look at verse number eight. We'll start in verse eight and go down through verse number 10. Verse number eight. But what does it say? Talking about the word of God. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now it amazes me sometimes that people are critical of the word of faith. In fact, people are critical about things they don't know anything about, and very often, you know, uh, uh, you, I don't encourage people to read these things because they're they're completely slanted. They take everything out of context. But there are people who who uh, give their life. To writing articles, you know, on the internet, posting things and not just Facebook, but just uh, blogs and so forth, critical of the word of faith. And and they take quotations of prominent uh, ministers in the word of faith movement and they take them out of context and make them appear to say something that, that I know many of these people and I know they don't believe nor say what people are claiming they say. They take their words out of context. And the, and the reason for that is, is there's a lot of tradition that word of faith preacher, preachers trample underfoot. And whenever you trample tradition underfoot and you make a, a bold statement that is goes against the grain and against tradition, uh, and even though you back it up by the word of God, people take that, that statement as outlandish, and they'll and they'll respond to it not considering the validity of the scripture, but they just take offense that their tradition got tried underfoot. Uh, but you'll read sometimes when people refer to this movement, they'll say word faith. That's, that's a very common designation. Word dash faith, the word dash faith movement, the word faith movement. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, you don't even know enough about the movement to even get our name right. Word faith. We've never called ourselves the word faith movement. It's the word of faith and it's what Paul preached. He said the word of faith which we preach. I mean, what else are we gonna preach? The word of doubt? The word of fear? The word of unbelief? No, it's the word of faith. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. Now notice, notice after the word in verse number eight, notice how the, how the verse ends. It ends with a colon. You see that? Well, a colon is, is a, 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 a punctuation mark. That tells us that uh, the writer is about to introduce, uh, you know, introduce an explanation or a description of something. So, in verse number eight, he talks about the word of faith, and then there's a colon. I think one, the older translation has a semicolon, but of course, we know punctuation is not in the original Greek. But the point is that the the translators realize that verse eight is getting us ready. It's about to introduce a description or an explanation of what the word of faith is. Here's the word of faith. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice there are two uh, features of the word of faith. The word has to be in your mouth and it has to be in your heart that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Notice it's confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, when I was young, when I was just a kid, I was saved when I was approximately six years old. I don't remember exactly. But uh, I, I know I was baptized in water when I was about six or seven. And so uh, my parents, I remember they they talked to me and, and questioned me and made sure that it wasn't just something I was doing. But I, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and might have been younger than that. But I know by that time. And so uh, we were never taught to confess Jesus as Lord. And yet I know I was genuine, genuinely saved. Anybody ever have that experience? Just me? All of you, when you were a kid or when you were young, when you you were saved, you said, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Did everybody do that? Did anybody not do that? I I didn't do that. I I prayed and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I I might not even said, Lord Jesus. I, I, I said... Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Of course, I didn't know. I didn't have to pray that the Lord would forgive me of my sins because he'd already done that. But I said, come into my life, Lord Jesus. Save me. Well, when, when, when somebody comes to Christ, it's not so much so that we have to have them repeat certain words. But when a person prays, and invites Jesus to come into their life. And they say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. Lord Jesus, save me. Save me, Jesus. What that person is doing with their mouth, they're submitting to the lordship of Jesus. See, that's the important thing. With It's important that we say it. It's not support so important, though in word of faith circles, we like to be real technical about everything. We like to make sure we have every. I dotted and every T crossed and everything just right. And so very often we'll, you know, we, and I do this, we'll lead people in a sinner's prayer. We have them confess with your mouth. I've confessed that Jesus is my Lord. I confess his Lordship. But like I said, when I was young, I didn't put it that way. I just said, Lord Jesus, save me. Well, what I was doing, I was submitting to his Lordship. You don't call on the Lord unless you're submitting to his Lordship. You don't call on Jesus and ask him to save you without submitting to his lordship. But the point is, you have to say it, whether you do it as a declaration or whether you do it just in a prayer. Oh, Jesus, wash me from my sins and save me. However you do it, you have to say it. In other words, it won't work if you just think it. No one has ever been saved thinking Now see, you don't know what I was thinking. No one's ever been saved thinking on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just think that he died for you and that that he's your savior, that won't get the job done. You have to ask him into your life or you have to confess his lordship through prayer or through a declaration of faith, but it has to come out of your mouth. If it didn't come out of your mouth, it it hasn't happened yet. Now, why is that? Well, there there are reasons and, and we could explore some of those reasons. I don't have time to go into all this tonight. But I remember that when God speaks his faith or when God exercises his faith, it always comes out of his mouth. Go back to Genesis. Then, and it says, and the Lord said, let there be. And again, it says, and the Lord said, and the Lord said. Another verse, and the Lord said. Another verse, and the Lord said. Faith cannot be released without words. Words, though they are natural sounds, they are spiritual carriers. Amen. Words are very important. And so no one has ever been saved without speaking their faith with their mouth. He said right here, here's the word of faith, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice, confessing with the mouth and then believing with the heart. These two principles form together, form the cardinal rule of faith. Faith always operates on these two principles. What you believe in your heart and what you say with your mouth. Now, if you have, how many of you have a kitchen in your house? How many of you have kitchen cabinets? Now, the reason I use a cabinet for an illustration instead of a door, a lot of times doors will have three or four hinges. But you notice your kitchen cabinets have two hinges. And for that door to open properly, both of those hinges have to be working. If one of those hinges freezes up, the door doesn't work right. Isn't that right? If one of those hinges falls off, try opening that door with one, just the top hinge, for instance. You'll pull on that thing and in that door will do this. Isn't that right? Doesn't work right. A door requires, or a cabinet door, requires two hinges. Well, faith requires Two features, what you say with your mouth, what you believe in your heart. Faith can't be exercised apart from what you believe in your heart and what you say with your mouth because words, faith is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. Faith is not a natural thing. Faith is not a natural persuasion. It's not a mental, It's not a, that's a better way to say it. Faith is not a mental persuasion. You don't just uh, persuade yourself mentally that the Bible is true. John Wesley, you know, he founded the, the, the uh, I don't know if he actually founded the Methodist church, but he founded, he founded Methodism, you know, that, that technique and became the Methodist church. Uh, he, he, in his writings, he said, the Lord, or, or the devil rather, has given the church a substitute for faith. He said it's a substitute that looks and sounds so much like faith that a lot of people can't tell it apart. He called it mental assent. See, in in what he was talking about in his day, there were people who uh, agreed that the Bible was true, but it wasn't alive on the inside of them. They didn't really submit to it. They really didn't act on it other than they mentally agreed with it. And uh, that, won't, that won't produce a new birth and it won't produce a miracle in your life. It's not mental persuasion, it's heart faith. The next verse gives us that, uh, that principle. Verse number 10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, this principle, this is the cardinal law of faith and and here he's applying it to salvation, but it really applies to anything. Anything that you receive from God has to have have these two uh, aspects working. Your faith has to have both of these aspects working. You have to believe it in your heart and you have to say it with your mouth. For with the heart, man believes. Now, believing with your heart we, all, we also know this that uh, when the Bible talks about the heart of man, it talks about the spirit of man. Because man is not just soul and body. I, I would suspect that the vast majority of the church world views man as a two part being, soul and body. Or body they usually say it this way, body and soul. I would I would I would guess that the majority, the vast majority of the church world sees a man, the makeup of man as twofold, body and soul. But the Bible doesn't picture it that way. Amen. The the Bible says in Hebrews chapter chapter four that the word of God is sharp and powerful, sharper than, or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says dividing asunder between uh, spirit and soul and joints and marrow, that's the body. So the Bible divides asunder between spirit, soul, and body. Well, if they can be divided by the word, they're not the same thing. I like to say it like this. This will help you immensely if you've never done this. Get in the habit of thinking of yourself this way. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. Because again, most people consider the inward Part of man, the part that knows God, the part that is uh, created in the image of God, the part that's saved or born again, they consider that to be the soul of man, that, that the new birth takes place in the soul. It doesn't, it takes place in the spirit of man. We are a spirit, we have a soul and the soul is important, and we, of course, live in a physical body. And it's always better when you refer to yourself, if you, if you think this way, think spirit, soul, and body, not body, soul, and spirit. Most Christians put that backwards because they're so body conscious. They're more conscious of the natural realm. And, and it's an effort sometimes to keep your perspective right because the natural realm, the physical realm, isn't the predominant realm. It seems to be because, because we do live in these bodies, and the and the physical realities all around us are ever present, and our senses are constantly feeding us information from the from the physical realm and the natural realm. But that's not the predominant realm. The predominant realm is the spirit realm. Why? Because God is a spirit. The Bible says he is. God is a spirit, and He created us in His image and after His likeness. And so, if God created us to be like Him, then we're spirits, and and that's exactly what Hebrews four eleven says that the word of God divides between spirit, soul, and body. It also says in Hebrews chapter uh, twelve that you've not come to Mount Zion, but you've come to to or to the Old Testament. But you've come to Mount Zion to the to the church uh, of the of the Of the firstborn, and it says the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That's what the church is full of. It's full of the spirits of righteous men that have been made perfect. That's what happens in the new birth. Our spirits are made perfect, amen? Well, when the Bible talks about believing with your heart, it's talking about believing with your spirit, man. And I think probably one of the most fundamental things for people to keep straight and and to, and to remain conscious of is that faith is of the heart, that it's of the spirit. It's not a, it's not a mental thing. Though confession seems to be mental sometimes, you're not confessing a, a truth that you've witnessed with your natural senses and your physical senses. You're confessing a truth that you've embraced with your heart. Believing God, believing with your spirit or, or what it means to to believe God with your heart, is to believe God apart from your mind, apart from your mental persuasion, apart from your feelings, apart from any kind of information you can receive in the natural realm or in the the mental realm. It's it's believing apart from that, it's believing out of the inside. And I've I've told you in this series that as as, as soon as the word comes to you, And as soon as you understand it, faith is there. You don't have, now, I'm all, I believe in meditating in the word. I practice meditating in the word. That's another subject. And it's important for renewing our mind and and, and strengthening us and feeding our faith. But you don't have to meditate in the word three days. When you see something in the Bible that belongs to you and you understand it with your heart, you see it, faith is there. Amen. You don't have to. You don't need another seminar. You don't need another series of, of messages to listen to. You can act on that right then. You, but you act on that because you believe it in your heart, apart from uh, what your body tells you, or what circumstances tell you, or what your mind is telling you. And one of the biggest, you know, Jesus said this. In Mark, I'm just quickly quoting some scriptures. We're not turning there to them tonight because I want to get you out of here. I know it's the, I know it's the first night, you know, before school starts. I know parents are eager to get their kids home and get them in bed. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. So we're not turning to all these passages, but they, you should be familiar with them enough. But when Jesus said, you know, he said, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. Well, he's not talking about believing with your mind. He's talking about believing with your heart. Believe in your spirit. Oh, glory to God! And I've and, I, and one of the one of the biggest uh, things that I learned about faith years ago that helped me so much was when I finally discovered that doubt in my mind will not hinder faith in my heart. Now, it's 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 better to continually renew your mind with the word so that you can displace doubt in your mind. I'm not saying you should just let doubt run rampant in your mind, I'm not saying that. But when I've endeavored to act on the word of God because I believed it here, I said it with my mouth and I'm acting on it. When i And when I've endeavored to, done, to do that uh, and every time I do that, the enemy is always there with my mind. He's always there in my mind giving me thoughts, telling me it's not going to work. You, you don't know what you're talking about. It, yeah, it worked before, but it's not going to work this time. And, and giving me all of these physical uh, senses telling me that it's not so. And, and sometimes doubt can come to your mind faster than, than, than machine gun fire. Just an assault of Doubt. And if you're not careful, you you can start listening to that doubt and allow it to trip you up. But I found there have been times when doubt's just assailing my mind. I mean, just like I said, just rapid fire. Doubt, 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 unbelief coming against my mind. I just relax and just laugh. Just laugh. and And I'll tell the devil sometimes yeah, I know what you're saying. I understand all of your logic. I understand that. But I believe. I believe what God said. You can have strong, robust faith in your heart with all kinds of doubt in your head because you don't believe God with your head. You don't believe God with your mind. You believe him with your heart. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.